0: Hello and welcome to We Read This Last Night, a show about stuff that we only have surface level knowledge on, but we essentially just read about it last night. Our topic for today is post-independence India. It is an era of history that I shouldn't really be fond of because it's the one I was born in, (laughs) but we feel like it is necessary to talk about it because there's this gap and this narrow-minded view when people learn Indian history. It's just like, oh, the Mauryans, the Mughals, and the freedom struggle, that's it, it just ends there.
1: I think we should just preface this episode by saying that a lot of the stuff is speculative. Like a lot of this stuff isn't based on concrete facts because a lot of stuff isn't released to the public. So a lot of this is just gonna be conspiracy theories, but it's all interesting and there are some facts surrounding it. So it isn't like we're completely talking out of our asses. Yeah, anyway, let's talk about post-independence
0: area. So at the stroke of the midnight hour, when the world sleeps, India will awake to life and freedom and all of that. But on 15th August 1947, India gained independence. And most people after this just skipped to 26th Jan 1950 when the constitution was officially adopted. But there's a lot of stuff that actually happened in between uh, these two events. Yeah, so for almost two and a half years, India had dominion status, which means the monarch was still uh, the king of England and it wasn't officially republic yet. So firstly, India did get independence. It was a momentous occasion. But there's also the whole, uh, there's also very dark events surrounding that called partition when basically uh, the territory of India was carved up into two nations, India and Pakistan. And there was a lot of confusion because uh, many Hindus who lived in what was now what is now Pakistan fled to India because they were scared of being persecuted by Muslim authorities. And the same thing happened with Muslims in India. So there was a huge amount of confusion, people fleeing from one country to the other. And communal riots broke out, and Hindus and Muslims killed each other. And do you have any idea how many people died in that? Tell me. One million people died during the partition, which is so much if you think about it. It's like, five times the number of people that have died of COVID in India right now.
1: That's insane. That's Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, and like families were ripped apart, people were killed, um, people were forced out of their houses. It was, I don't know, it's a very bittersweet event in a sense.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. Also, a lot of people, like, uh, who are Indians right now, were born in uh, Pakistan territory. Like, even Manmohan Singh, the former Prime Minister, he was actually born in what is now Pakistan. And uh, there's a fun fact about him. He, uh, whenever he gives a speech, he writes, his speech is always written in Urdu because he reads in Urdu. Which is pretty weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I've never thought of him as someone who is that old. Like, I knew how old he was, but I never really put it into perspective.
0: The like, is fucking old. Do you know how old he is right now? He's 88 years old right now.
1: That's so weird. Yeah, he's that, pretty that's old. That's honestly so weird. <laughs> yeah, just a second, like, let's talk about partition. So, the the basis of partition of India and Pakistan and East Pakistan which eventually became Bangladesh was basically that some Muslims in India wanted a separate state for themselves and um, the Congress split into two. It was the Muslim League and the Indian National Congress and so uh, the Muslim League uh, was the ...main party in Pakistan and East Pakistan, post-partition, and the mm-hmm. Indian National Congress was obviously the ruling party in India. The Muslim
0: India. League was uh, basically scared that if India remained one country, they wouldn't get adequate representation in Parliament.
1: Yeah, and that, like, that honestly wasn't a very, um. I don't know, that, that was a real possibility because... Uh, Indian National Congress had been like openly associating itself with Hindu crops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not justifying the partition. But like, yeah, I understand their point. Also Gandhi,
0: uh, to his credit, he was against the partition. And he actually went on a hunger strike and it was kind of effective because tensions eventually calmed down because of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... um that also, like we'll talk about this later, but like his hunger strikes were also one of the reasons why he was assassinated. Yeah, so, Nathuram Godse, the guy who assassinated Gandhi, said that Gandhi keeps going on these hunger strikes and we, the Hindus, gave in to his demands. But if he went on a hunger strike for something that the Muslims had control over, not one of them would really care. And, like, they would just let him die gladly, which obviously wasn't true, I guess.
0: Yeah, Gandhi was just blinded by his uh, RSS ideology. Yeah,
1: and also, like, another point that Goethe brought up was that Gandhi had become a host unto himself. Like, it was either his way, like, the, the Congress could follow his way, or he would just do it anyway on his own. And because of the popular support that he had, it would be successful either way so like the only difference between him doing it with congress or him doing it alone was that like congress could get some of the mutual benefit from his popular support
0: yeah gandhi had become too powerful like even if he does something wrong uh, the public would still look at him in a fond light but yeah, Godse uh, accused Gandhi of appeasing Muslims. And do you want to know a fun fact about Godse? What? So he was called Natharam Godse, right? That's because uh, when he was born, uh, before his parents had like three sons, and all three of them had died. So this time their parents were scared. Okay, we have another son. He might die as well. So they started dressing him up as a girl because yeah, they didn't yeah, want yeah. him to die. <laughs> yeah, and they um. Made him wear like these nose rings, and Godse was Marathi, I guess, and nose rings Gautze were
1: called. Godse
0: was an e boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Godse was the first e boy aside from being an assassin, but uh, his parents made him wear nose rings, and nose rings are called Nath in Marathi, that's why he was called Nathuram.
1: Oh, oh. Yeah. What's your opinion on this? Was Godse
0: right? <laughs> I don't think assassinating someone is the right thing to do, so I don't think Godse was right.
1: Yeah, but his like, whole... Was his political view correct?
0: No, not at all. He was he was a far right wing Hindutva guy. And the fact fact that modern political leaders try to paint him in a good light is absolutely disgusting.
1: Yeah, one I don't know who it was, but someone from BJP. Like they were standing outside the parliament and they were being interviewed and they said that Nathuram Godse was a patriot. He yeah, people revere him
0: as a martyr and patriot, which is absolute bullshit. But it makes sense because you know he was from the RSS.
1: Like I agree with some of the stuff that he said about Gandhi, which is like not the one that relates to religion, but like some of the stuff like. He had become a host unto himself, and he was too powerful—all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I right. mean Gandhi definitely has his flaws, but assassinating him was definitely not the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, because like even if you look at it from Godse's point of view, if you assassinate Gandhi, then Gandhi automatically becomes a martyr.
0: Yeah, he is revered as a martyr.
1: Yeah, so it's like it's the complete. The of what day he died, a martyr. What
0: else would he want? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't
0: know. Do you like Gandhi? I don't. I don't know if I like Gandhi. I mean, he did play an instrumental role in the freedom struggle, but there's a lot of things about him which are just weird. I mean, some of them are speculative, but if they were true, then they would definitely be weird. Like the yeah. whole he made uh, people sleep together naked and all of that. I mean, that's kinky
1: and all, but still, not not something Apparently, good for the power he... of the nation. He made his niece sleep naked next to him so that he could prove his celibacy. Yeah, he justified by his uh,
0: like self-control and stuff, but it's still pretty kinky, Gandhi.
1: Yeah. Yeah, unlike his. Uh... <laughs> Bapu in the streets, Daddy in the sheets.
0: Even <laughs> even this is very speculative, but um, so Gandhi had his whole Satyagraha thing going on, right? His whole yeah. Swaraj thing, his whole make in India stuff. So he was opposed to anything Western, like Western goods, Western services, even Western medicine, that included. So uh, when his wife had some, so I, she had some sort of health issue. I don't really know what it was, but she required Western medicine. But Gandhi was like, Haha, that's not gonna happen, Kasturba. And then she died. And then years later, Gandhi had some ailment of his own and he promptly went into Western medicine. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah that's the kind of stuff and like how he i don't know like people talk about all the good stuff that he did in south africa but apparently he did a lot of bad stuff too yeah,
0: like, yeah. He,
1: he was only working for the indians like he was he didn't really care about the blacks. yeah he didn't really care about the black people he, he still thought they were inferior yeah so it's just yeah it's a very contradictive in history
0: yeah it's not like see this isn't about defaming gandhi or anything i mean he definitely played a big part but no one can be like
1: purely good right it's it's holding historical figures accountable and that that's what matters yeah but that's the thing gandhi believed that he was always right like even if you take a look at something like um okay so obviously i agree with gandhi on this one but like not the way that he used it's, it's like the gandhi gandhi superiority <laughs> complex yeah probably uh you know how um br ambedkar was asking for us like uh exclusive electorate for um the obc and- yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah so like gandhi disagreed with yeah him. he didn't
0: really believe in that that's where
1: gandhi and ambedkar split. yeah so they went for the second roundtable conference in london and they clashed over there because they had like opposite stances on this, and Gandhi just went on a hunger strike. He was like, "I'm not gonna eat until you cave to my demands."
0: Yeah, Gandhi's just like, "I'm sorry, but sometimes he's just like a kid. Like, I'm not gonna he, eat." He's my a
1: seventy-year-old toddler.
0: <laughs> if you if you don't do as I'm saying, I'm not gonna eat my food.
1: Naapi <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like. The way that he's painted in history books makes him just look like really, really good but he wasn't all that good and like painting him that way uh, takes away credit from other people such as Bhagat Singh, Mm -hmm. Chandra Azad. Like obviously I don't agree with their methods and which is uh, again it's the place where Gandhi clashed with them that they, like, they believe that independence couldn't be won without violence, and then Gandhi was obviously uh, there with his non-violent, nonviolent ideology. ideology. So, yeah, yeah apparently Gandhi let Bhagat Singh die, like, he could have saved him, but he let him die because like, yeah, yeah uh, Because
0: he didn't agree with his point of view that violence was
1: necessary. Yeah, so, that isn't the person that we're taught about and school
0: yeah yeah but he was in let's not forget about his influence as well like even the whole civil rights movement in uh the us like martin luther was heavily inspired by gandhi so martin all of that Luka, totally yeah yeah even mandela let's talk about ambedkar for a second as well because ambedkar is like a chart as well. I mean, obviously he drafted the constitution and shit, but do you have any idea how educated he was? Tell me. He had a shit ton of degrees. He had, he did a BA in like economics and political science from Mumbai. And then, uh, he did, he did an MA majoring in economics and sociology and history and philosophy and anthropology and politics. <laughs> and then he had a PhD and then he did a master in science or something like that. And he also had a law degree. Basically, he had a, it's like 12 different degrees. He was he was immensely educated. He was overtly educated. And you know, being and he from did
1: all of that without reservation.
0: Without reservation, yeah. He did all that being from a marginalized background, which is pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, coming back to Gandhi, like another thing Gautsa said was that like Gandhi was pretty much like he had the final say in anything and everything related to the freedom struggle, like civil yeah, disobedience, he holding any office. Yeah, and like the very essence of democracy is that one man shouldn't get to make all the decisions. Yeah, yeah, basically, he feared that
0: you know, Gandhi was becoming almost like a dictator, kind of like the motivation behind Julius Caesar's assassination.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, but I mean, that had uh, at least somewhat of a noble motive, yeah, but not in Godse's case, he was just blinded by his hateful ideology,
1: yeah, yeah, pretty much. If any of you haven't heard or read Godse's speech on why he killed Gandhi, I recommend that you do because, like. Obviously, you're just listening to the two of us talk about it right now. But I think Mm -hmm. you should read it and, like, form your own opinion on it. Because when you read it, everything that he says makes complete sense. And, like, he prefaces it by saying that I was born in a Brahmin family, but I joined a wing of the RSS. That's a very bold
0: opinion. Everything he says makes sense.
1: When you're reading it. Okay. Not when you think about it. It's like, you know, when... The Nazis published stuff. It was all propaganda. So everything that they said made yeah, complete it, it's sense to Yeah, convincing, but it's not morally right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like the way he words it is pretty much propaganda, honestly. <laughs> he prefaces it by saying that I was born in an upper-class Brahmin family, but then I joined the I joined a wing of the RSS, which dealt with um, caste and stuff. So, I was pretty much just working to, um, you know, remove the disparity.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so, I'm not a racist is basically what he was trying to say. And I'm not... Sure God, uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm not a right-wing fanatic. Sure, buddy. But, yeah, when you read it, like when I read it, I thought this guy makes complete sense. But then I thought about it in like a little while and no it's morally wrong to do anything like that no matter who that person is yeah but that's the thing powerful orators
0: or at least people who can vote stuff in a good way that is to to convince you that they're somehow right that is the most dangerous thing of all but anyway coming back to the topic at hand uh gandhi was assassinated a huge number of people came to his funeral because obviously he was still loved by the public um, Nehru gave the famous address in radio that the light has gone out of our lives, and all of that. And Godse was promptly hanged. But even after that, India faced a number of problems. A major one was uh, the refugee crisis. Like a lot of refugees came from East Pakistan to the Indian state of Bengal, and uh, Nehru and the Pakistani prime minister had talks about that, and eventually they came to a resolve. But other than that. Uh, Another problem was the problem of the states and their reorganization. Like, if you think about it, do you know how many princely states India had at the time of independence? How many? 565 princely states.
1: I was way off. I thought something like
0: 170. No, they had a lot of princely states. They faced the monumental task of, first of all, convincing all these princely states to accede to the dominion of India. And also reorganize them based on linguistic and ethnicity. And if you know anything about India, you know that India is extremely ethnically diverse. So yeah, they had that problem.
1: Yeah, so to anyone who doesn't know this already, you should know this already, but um, India, like in India, the states are divided on the basis of language, not on the basis of religion, because the Indian subcontinent had already been divided into three parts based on religion, so they decided that um, dividing states on the basis of religion probably wouldn't be the best idea.
0: Yeah, it definitely wasn't the best idea. Anyway, so uh, Sardar Vallabhai Patel, he was the deputy prime minister at the time. He It was his job basically to go around and convince all the Maharajas and princes and, you know, make them accede to the union. So he did it almost successfully, but there were only three states left at this point which were uh, giving him somewhat of a problem. There was uh, the kingdom of Junagar. So the problem with Junagar was that it had a Hindu majority.
1: And, yeah,
0: but a Muslim ruler. Yeah, but a Muslim ruler. And the same with Hyderabad. So there were these two states. With Jonagar, what they did was, uh, they did it diplomatically, so they held this plebiscite thing. It's basically like a referendum. And uh, people voted overwhelmingly in, the, in favor of joining India. So they did. But in Hyderabad, uh, the Nizam did not, like he was against the idea. So, and... Uh, Like, very few people know this, but the Indian army actually invaded Hyderabad.
1: What? Hasn't, like, the Indian army claims to have never invaded a country in like a thousand years?
0: Yeah, that's not true. They invaded Hyderabad, it was called Operation Polo, and they forcefully annexed it. Because the Nizam didn't give his consent
1: yeah but like imagine if the nizam had given the land to pakistan like hyderabad is right in the middle of india how would they even you know do that
0: yeah it would be a, i mean obviously east pakistan was already cut off from uh mainland pakistan so it would yeah, be a big didn't lot of they, didn't they plan
1: to make a highway across india joining pakistan and east pakistan i don't know what they would do but uh, no, this was an actual plan that there would be a highway over india yeah going from pakistan to east pakistan it would and be then, a clusterfuck of territory yeah and then i think the indian government was rightly like that isn't happening
0: yeah fuck it we're just going to attack yeah no,
1: they... no, this this doesn't even involve hyderabad it's just pakistan and east pakistan you know pakistan and bangladesh They were going to build a highway to connect these two places.
0: Yeah, it was a big problem for national security because, like, Pakistani leaders would just fly over Indian airspace all the time. And Mm -hmm. it really annoyed the fuck out of us.
1: Yeah, just shoot it down. (laughs) Yeah, but anyway,
0: so these two states were annexed, one diplomatically and one forcefully. But uh, the last one was famously Kashmir. Mm -hmm. And the thing with Kashmir was, again, Muslim majority. No, it was the opposite this time. It had a Muslim majority, but the ruler was Hindu, Raja Hari Singh. So he initially uh, voted to join India because he was Hindu. But then uh, Pakistan started convincing some Kashmiris to rise up, and that's how there were Pakistani militants in Kashmir. And that, like, immediately after partition, it caused the first Indo-Pakistan war over Kashmir.
1: Yeah, and uh, up until last year, Kashmir had like special rights because like those were the, those were the conditions on the basis of which Raja Harish Chandra had.
0: Killed. Yeah, so the interesting thing is that uh, Lord Mountbatten, uh, he and Nehru had this discussion and Nehru was like, sure, we'll have a plebiscite again like we did for Junagar, but interestingly, no such plebiscite was ever done.
1: Yeah, and um, so basically, um, the Raja of Kashmir, he met uh, Nehru and Sardar Vallabhai Patel, I think. Yeah. And uh, they decided that Kashmir would become a part of India, but the people of Kashmir would have special rights. Like, you know how everyone else in the country has equal rights?
0: But yeah, then... yeah, yeah. Kashmir had a whole different thing. Like... You couldn't buy property in Kashmir if you were not Kashmiri, and they had subsidized uh, food grains and stuff like that.
1: And a lot of even with like the legislation, there was a special (laughs) sort of legislation for them, like only the people of Kashmir could vote for, you know, um, laws in Kashmir. But then that obviously changed when uh, Jammu and Kashmir became union territories last year. Yeah,
0: Article I think 371 I believe.
1: 370,
0: I yeah. think. Yeah, like BJP's whole thing is that they wanted a uniform civil code. So mm-hmm. they basically uh, revoked Kashmir's special status and even like uh, turned them into Union Territories instead of states.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's kind of weird now because India has 28 states now and 9 Union Territories. Mm-hmm. And before it used to be 29 states and seven union territories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Nehru made this deal with uh, Hari Singh that he would provide him aid to fight off the militants, but on the condition that they would join the dominion of India along with some uh, special clauses. So anyway, the Indo-Pakistan war lasted for two years. And it ended when the UN intervened and there was a ceasefire. But mm-hmm. uh, the plebiscite promise which Nehru had given was never completed.
1: Yeah, obviously, because they had a Muslim majority, so they would probably vote to go to Pakistan.
0: Yeah, I know Pakistan time. had one third of Kashmir territory.
1: Yeah. Are they still there? Like, <laughs> is it still occupied by Pakistan?
0: Yeah, what do you think POK is? Pakistan I occupied yeah. Kashmir?
1: No, I knew that, but like after article 370.
0: I mean, India obviously claims the entirety of Kashmir, but it's still disputed. Hmm. Uh, India claims the entirety of Kashmir, Pakistan doesn't and China does. (laughs) Anyway, getting back to India, in 1949 the war ended, and the Constituent Assembly officially adopted the constitution in November of 1949. And uh, it came into effect on 26th January 1950 or Republic Day, we all know that.
1: But, yeah, do, do you know why they, like, why didn't they just implement it back in November?
0: Yeah, I've always wondered why not.
1: Yeah, okay, so basically, um, do you remember this chapter in Hindi in which they talked about how they were, having, they were declaring Independence Day in Bengal in, like, 1939, I think? Yeah, yeah, 31. 31, yeah, so that was 26 january that that was the declaration of independence and in oh,
0: yeah, yeah yeah i noticed that it was yeah
1: yeah so they did that and so uh, uh india gained its independence on 15th august 1947 but they wanted the day of they, they wanted 26 january to be special so they adopted the constitution i mean like it came into effect on 26 january 1950 so that it became our republic day and it was an important day for us.
0: That's so cute. How wholesome of the Constituent Assembly. (laughs) But anyway, there were elections again and Congress won obviously because Nehru was still popular. And after that... They didn't have, you know, a powerful opposition at that point. For the first few decades in uh, the Indian Republic's history, they didn't really have a choice. Most of them voted for Congress anyway.
1: Yeah, because like the the Congress was like the only political party in India to an extent. Because yeah, it was the formed in eighteen eighty five. Yeah, like all the good politicians had already joined the Congress.
0: Uh-huh. And so, even if yeah. like that wasn't the case, the Congress was the party most uh like instantaneously associated with the freedom struggle. So people still yeah. probably remember them for that. Anyway, Nehru won a second term, uh, term in office and there was more states reorganization this time. So there was this dude
1: called um, 40 ramulu <laughs> I, I remember him. I remember him. He was an eighth, right? Like 8th yeah, sixth. I'm dog.
0: so sorry for laughing, but yeah, he was he was his major figure actually. He did a very heroic thing. He wanted Andhra Pradesh to be a separate state. <laughs> So he uh, went on a hunger strike, but unlike Gandhi, he actually died fasting.
1: <laughs> okay, so I don't know if we, if we are going to keep this in or not, probably not. But So this was in the civic textbook in 8th, right? So his name was Porti Venkatesh or whatever. <laughs> and he died because he didn't eat. So we joked about how the government would break the news to his parents by, <laughs> by saying constipation. Okay. I hope you don't regret listening to this podcast. <laughs> Getting back to the podcast.
0: So, anyway, uh, Shri Ramalu died fasting because he wanted Andhra Pradesh to be a separate state. And there were major riots. So, Nehru finally appointed the States Reorganization Commission. And Andhra Pradesh was made a state. Yeah, and other than that, uh, the Madras state was divided into Kerala and Tamil Nadu. And also, I never knew about this. Maharashtra didn't exist until 1960. Good. (laughs) Yeah, but before, it was called Saurashtra, and then it was divided into Maharashtra and Gujarat.
1: Maharashtra is such an important state. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Like historically, yeah, obviously. Like it has Nagpur, it has Mumbai, it has Pune, like the ports and stuff. It was like connected to the Middle East by the Arabian Sea. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Maharaj
1: is. Look at them now.
0: (laughs) Another unfortunate thing the state's reorganization commission did was uh, it gave Haryana independence. So Punjab was split into Punjab and Haryana. I'm sorry for saying that. Also, a lot of people don't know this, and it's a genuinely astonishing fact, but India was essentially a socialist state for the first few decades after independence. I mean, it wasn't a true blue socialist or true red socialist country like the USSR, but some of the policies it, it followed were definitely socialist, like... Uh, there were low taxation rates on farmers. And most of the major industries were nationalized, even like banks and stuff. So, yeah, uh, we did. But even though we followed socialist policies, we didn't really align with the Soviet Union. So, India has this whole thing going on under Nehru called non-alignment, where, because the Cold War was going on, right? So, India yeah. didn't, uh, like, they didn't <laughs> align with either, either the USSR or the U.S., they just had mm-hmm. their own thing, and they were like a regional superpower in uh, Southern Asia.
1: Yeah, but but that changed because um, a couple of years after uh, Lal Bahadur Shastri, the second prime minister died, the word socialist was added to the preamble of India. So like the preamble of India says, we the people of India, having solemnly resolved to constitute India into a sovereign, socialist, secular, democratic republic and to secure all its citizens and then their rights. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so the word socialist is included in India's preamble. India is a socialist state.
0: Yeah, at least in name.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, anyway, uh, Nehru remained prime minister for a long time until he died in 64. And uh, then Shastri became prime minister. And Shastri became prime minister because the other alternative was Morarji Desai, and everyone just hated Morarji Desai. (laughs) (laughs) So naturally they went with Shastri.
1: And yeah, and he he uh, coined the famous slogan, "Jai Jai Jai Jawan
0: Jai Kisan." Yeah, but when I tell you people hated Desai it wasn't entirely not justified because, and this is true, okay, this is completely true. Uh, in later life, Desai uh, went to 60 Minutes, like, he had a 60 Minutes interview and uh, he told the host that he believed in urine therapy or something, <laughs> which was basically drinking urine and he said this, he actually said this, he was like, people in India who cannot afford medical treatment, I advise them to drink urine.
1: Cow urine, right. No, 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 human urine. <laughs> Why is that even worse? Like, it's definitely worse. Yeah, yeah, that that's so weird. Thank fucking God he wasn't our prime minister.
0: He, I mean, he was later. Uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, but Lal Bahadur Shastri. A very boring figure who suddenly became very interesting. Uh huh. So, the reason why Lal Bahadur Shastri is so interesting or important is that because um, the second Indo Pakistan war happened in the 60s when Lal Bahadur Shastri was our prime minister.
0: Yeah. Pakistan just one day decided to storm into Indian territory for no reason. Like, they sent over militants dressed as civilians. And they just barged in. And then India fought back. And this is interesting because India was almost about to march onto Lahore. And then by this time, like, China kind of hated India. So they (laughs) allied with Pakistan. And China threatened to uh, support Pakistan if India went to Lahore. And then when all this was happening, the UN intervened again for the second time. The UN only intervenes when Western interests aren't involved. I've always noticed this.
1: Yeah, because, like, the countries that hold the veto powers are, like, mostly Western countries.
0: Yeah, obviously. I mean, I'm not saying the U.N. shouldn't have intervened, but if you're intervening, then do it for all conflicts, bro. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they intervened for a second time, and again, uh, the territories went back to as they were before the war.
1: Yeah, and, um, so, uh, Lal Bahadur Shastri, he went to Tashkent, which was a part of the Soviet Union at that point. Um, And he went there to sign the Tashkent Treaty, which basically ended the Indo-Pakistan war. And then he died there.
0: Yeah, he died following the night of the signing ceremony, which is so suspicious.
1: Yeah, he died and um, yeah, so let me just tell you the facts surrounding his death. He he had had heart attacks before. So, like, it wasn't that I don't know I don't know what the word for it is. Like, it wasn't totally unbelievable. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the facts are that he died in a foreign country and a post-mortem wasn't done. Like, no postmortem you was conducted. Yeah,
0: always suspicious in these cases.
1: Yeah, and, like, all of- most of my facts are, like, based on the Tashkin files which is a movie. It's a really good movie. You should watch it if you haven't already. And so there there might be some fragments of fiction here. But these are the facts. Okay, no uh, post-mortem was conducted. Um, So, like, when uh, Lal Bahadur Shastri went to Tashkent, he had his personal physician with him. And then obviously there were uh, Soviet doctors and the USSR and so um the first doctor on scene was a lady who wasn't lal bahadur shastri's personal physician and um i think there were 11 doctors who saw lal bahadur shastri and on the official file that was given to india they were only like 10 signatures like there was one less signature damn yeah and who didn't sign the first doctor who had arrived on the scene
0: oh shit okay
1: yeah and um on the indian reports and the soviet reports like the medical report it's almost the same time except it's translated into russian Um when he was having a heart attack some some substance was injected into him some sort of medication and it's something like it's re- like the substance injected is calcium in the indian reports and it's some other element in the soviet reports and people say that it's just a translation mistake but it can't be that
0: yeah it's an obvious legal discrepancy
1: Yeah, like people say that the words for uh, the two elements in Russian are pretty similar and so they made an honest mistake. But come on, you can't make an honest mistake when an international minister dies in your country.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Also, one thing
0: I've heard is that uh, Shastri's butler was awoken, something like that. And this KGB agent came to him and he's like, hurry up, the Indian Prime Minister has just been poisoned.
1: I did not know that. Like, I've read about this, but not extensively. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of details, a lot of conjectures surrounding it.
1: Yeah, and um, they were like, uh, Shastri also had his private cook, who used to give him mm. like warm milk or whatever every night. And average like, Indian. <laughs> yeah, on this specific day, that guy didn't give him milk. Some other. Uh, God gave him
0: that's definitely something
1: yeah and this was a major point in the movie because like one of the uh, I don't know one of the people who were debating whether it's an actual whether it's just a conspiracy theory or it actually has some weight to it one of them was like a pretty right wing guy so that's why I know this but like Shastri's personal um, chef was Hindu and
0: mm-hmm. the guy who
1: had made the milk for him that day was a Muslim. Damn. Yeah, and okay, so it just keeps getting weirder. Um, when Shastri died, he was pointing to the flask in which yeah. he had been given milk. What the f- but he, he, he usually had water in it, so people just thought that he was asking for water.
0: Oh, okay. yeah, That could be the case as well.
1: Yeah, but Shastri had just drank milk from it. And when Shastri came back to India, all his possessions were with him except for that flask.
0: Also, when he came back to India, apparently uh, there were strange blue patches and scars on his body. Yeah, and his mom
1: screamed, someone has poisoned my son.
0: Yeah, she's like, my son gave my Average UP <UPian, sorry. laughs> Don't yeah, and then, me, I'm
1: from There's also
0: this poem called, like, his wife. His wife was the main proponent of the, he got poison theory. Mm-hmm. And this guy wrote a poem called Lalita ke Asu, which, like, became big in India. And that's how a lot of people got to know about uh, the whole controversy surrounding his death.
1: Yeah, and do you want to know something else? Sure. Um, When he came back to India, there were strange cuts all over his body, which were just ignored. And people say that there weren't any cuts. But in the movie, at least, the grandson of Lal Bahadur Shastri had his cap, which had blood on it, which clearly showed that there were cuts on his body. So what people suggest is that he was poisoned by the KGB in the Soviet Union. And then his post-mortem was conducted and the KGB used to um, perform slight, tiny incisions in the body and remove organs. Which the Indian government would have never known because they never conducted a post-mortem.
0: Yeah, like Russians are notorious for uh, poisoning people.
1: Yeah, and and a couple of years after this, the word socialist is added to the preamble of India. Uh
0: Aha, that's a conspiracy theory.
1: Yeah, and there's this book called uh, the Metrokin Archives. Uh-huh. So, so basically there was this guy, his last name was Metrokin and he was the director of the archives of the KGB. And so he smuggled out uh, papers every single day, like every day that he worked there. And after the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, he took 25,000 sheets of paper to, to Britain. And like, there were papers about what KGB had been doing in every single country, and it's known as the biggest counterintelligence report in history. And yeah, so I've, I've heard about it. In the section in it about India, like, some of these are direct quotes. He says that India was like Disneyland for the spies.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard of this.
1: The KGB had more spies in India than the rest of the world. <laughs> apparently, when Indra Gandhi... I've read this myself. Apparently, when Indra Gandhi uh, went on a vacation, uh, I don't know, it was, it was to some country in the USSR, like, one of the places in the USSR, and this KGB agent had delivered bags of money to her house and a congress um, minister had collected it and uh, at one point um, 21 politicians, four of whom were ministers and newspapers were on Soviet payroll. Oh. Wow.
0: Yeah,
1: so India was pretty heavily infiltrated by spies and this is just the stuff that we know about the KGB. Imagine the stuff that they had done, uh, that the CIA had Yeah, done.
0: the CIA, they, they definitely didn't do nothing as well.
1: Yeah, and these are just the two biggest intelligence agencies in the world. There are others. There's like, the Mossad you know,
0: as well. What? The Mossad, the Israeli uh, intelligence agency. The MI5 the mi5 yeah talk to.
1: so yeah it's all pretty weird and like another um important figure who died around that timeline Homi baba
0: yeah Homi baba died in the plane crash and his death is kind of suspicious as well a lot of people say that the cia did it because uh homie baba was uh, one of the proponents of india's nuclear program like he was
1: yeah. He's the father of the Indian nuclear program.
0: Yeah, he was a famous nuclear physicist. And uh, people say the CIA director to basically stall India's uh, progress in uh, the nuclear field.
1: Yeah, because he was like making advancements much faster than the Western counterparts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so the control tower had confirmation that the flight had no technical problems and like his plane crashed into Mont Blanc, right?
0: Uh-huh. So,
1: a few minutes before it crashed, he was already flying 3000 feet over it.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, uh, Homi Baba was known for being an accomplished pilot,
1: so... He-, he wasn't flying it, like flying his plane was one of the most <laughs> experienced pilots of Air India.
0: <laughs> I mean, you could say that he was flying errand, yeah. so <laughs> that that was
1: why he died, but... <laughs> yeah, and some people say that there was a bomb in the luggage compartment and that exploded and, like, that's why everyone died.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. That could be it as well.
1: Yeah, but it, it's so weird. Like, so many people have died in apparent uh, plane crashes. homi yeah. Baba, Subhash Chandra Bose, Subhashandra Gandhi.
0: Sanjay Gandhi. <laughs>
1: so, do you want to get in about uh, Subhash Chandra Bose's death?
0: Sure. Uh, Subhash Chandra Bose died horribly. Like, I just assumed he died when his plane crashed. But, so his plane was taking off and it took off and something happened with the engine or something like that. Like, they could hear an audible blast. And then this plane tipped over and a lot of people inside, like, there was the... Um, vice general of the japanese forces because obviously the ina uh was involved with fascist japan and uh so he was there and he died immediately but uh sebastian the was still alive after the crash and he tried to like exit but he was dripping with gasoline and then he caught on fire and there was severe burns on his body and his head
1: that's Horrible like we've already talked about how being burned alive is the worst way to die. Yeah, he died. He died terribly Yeah, so Subhash Chandra Bose died on 18th August 1945 and he died in a plane crash in Taiwan and um, Okay, so I'm I'm gonna talk about it strictly from a point of view where I believe that he didn't really die in that plane crash sure so, um, no death certificate was made. Like, they have a death certificate of the Japanese, uh, general who died with him.
0: Yeah, it's always in these cases, it's like, no death certificate, or no post-mortem. Like, how are we not supposed to be suspicious?
1: Yeah, and, um, it's not just that there wasn't any death certificate. Like, in the hospital where his body was taken, like a lot of countries had sent in media there to like get some sort of news but they weren't allowed anywhere near it Mm -hmm. and um when commissions were formed to investigate the death a couple of years later um the taiwanese government said that there was no such plane crash in taiwan that year like none at all like nothing matches the timeline and like you know everything that was described in India, wow. none of that happened there apparently. Um, and his sister was giving a speech about how, like, this is post independence. She was mm-hmm. giving a speech about how she had met someone, and like, if the people knew who she met, then they would, then they would be happier than they were. When independence was declared in uh, 1947, holy shit, she said that! Yeah, and then Nehru stopped her from talking further. Nehru, that bastard! Yeah, um, his uh, niece asked them to perform a DNA test on his remains, that hasn't been done so far. Um, going back to Nehru, uh. So, one theory is that Nehru had him killed because um, he was a very viable candidate for prime minister. Yeah, so, probably, yeah. So people say that Nehru wanted to eliminate uh, competition, and so he hired so that's quite The here.
0: narrative of Nehru being this ambitious guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Nehru seems much younger than he is, like he was an old man when all of this happened. But like, when you think about Nehru, you think this young, ambitious guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. But he was older. Nehru had weird stuff going on, man. Like, like how he cocked the Earl of Burma. <laughs> 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 he had a thing with, like, allegedly he had a thing with Edwin R. Mountbatten, who was the wife of the Earl of Burma. Like, there's a very famous picture of them where Nehru is laughing creepily and she is laughing too. It's really creepy. Yeah, they definitely had something going on. Like, they exchanged letters and shit and uh they were pretty close until uh Edwin Amon death
1: yeah that is pretty weird but um going back to Subhash Chandra Bose um <clears throat> there's this picture of Lal Bahadur Shastri among a group of men in Tashkent and there's this man who resembles Subhash Chandra Bose a lot Damn. in that picture and like uh like Forensic experts. I don't know the right word for it, but like people who compare photographs and they can determine if it's the same person They claim that that is Subharshan reverse Like it matches his uh, physical description completely That's definitely and, weird And it gets weirder when uh, Lal Bahadur Shastri was in Tashkent. He said that um, I have met someone here who will, like, change the course of politics or something along that line. And I will tell my countrymen when I get back to my country. Oh, shit. I didn't we'll back. He died before he got back. So people say that he was going to tell them that he met Subhash Chandra
0: Yeah, and there was also this whole controversy surrounding Subhash Chandra and in the Bharat Ratna. Like, they planned to give him the Bharat Ratna, a posthumous one but a lot of people uh, said that you couldn't possibly give a posthumous award to someone who hasn't died because a lot of people refused that netaji had died and even the family said that if they were given the award they wouldn't accept it so they didn't end up giving the award to him
1: that's that's really weird like i mean not not weird but like that's like pretty interesting um do you, want, do you want me to get into the other theory of what happened after this plane crash? Sure, tell me. So, there's this guy, was this guy, Gumnami Baba. You must have heard of him if you've tried to read about uh, Sebastian Bose's death. I Gumnami haven't really ba- heard of him, no. Gumnami Baba was this Baba Sadhu figure. He was also known as Bhagwanji. Um, sure. he started moving around in parts of UP in the early 1970s. Um, here are the facts he didn't stay in one place, he didn't show his face to a lot of people. Like, um, a very selected few people had seen his face, and everyone else who wanted to talk to him just had to talk through a curtain or a veil. Mm-hmm. Um, People used to come to meet him at night, like in the darkness. Um, people used to come to meet him around Sebastian Rabo's birthday every year. Um, he died in 1985 in the servant's quarter of a BJP leader's house. <clears throat> he spoke fluently in German, Japanese, English and Bengali.
0: Why does the BJP always come up and stuff like this? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, he, he spoke fluent German, Japanese, English and Bengali and these were all languages that Sebastian Rabo spoke.
0: Oh yeah, obviously. Sebastian Rabo started thing with Japan and he also mm-hmm. had ties to Nazi Germany, which uh, kind of yeah. mars his legacy.
1: Yeah, because like his he I don't know, he he didn't really care about uh, international politics. He just wanted a way to liberate India using militant force. Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah, when he died, he had two followers, like, who lived with him, and they started fighting over who gets his possession. So, uh, she died with 12 chests in two rooms. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, both of the servants or, like, followers locked themselves in the two rooms, like, separately, and then the police came because they were fighting, and so basically, the contents of the chests were as follows. There were round glasses, pictures of Subhash Chandra Bose's parents. And he rather... wore round glasses as well,
0: didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Damn.
1: It's, this is going to get really weird. There were pictures of Subhash Chandra Bose's parents, rather, school teacher.
0: That's
1: creepy family I thought quite like, cool teacher. Family photos, uh Sebastian in INA uniform, pictures of his INA colleagues, <laughs> pictures of birthday celebrations in Bengal on the occasion of Sebastian Rabose's birthday. Um there was foreign alcohol, they were smoking pipes, there were books on the Indochina War. This is just borderline perversion. No, th- this is meant to prove that it was him.
0: Yeah, I know that, but it's still creepy. Like, who keeps a photo of his fucking school teacher and stuff?
1: I think it's more like, um, you know, your mentor kind of thing. Like, uh, I don't know. Um...
0: Okay, sure. What's
1: your name? Huh. I don't know, like, Sam probably keeps a picture of Gandalf with him. I don't know, I would. How did he
0: have a killer ke paas, Killer? What?
1: You would like possessions his possessions. he Gumnami Baba. Baba is supposed to be Subharshan, Rabos, Oh, He
0: killed him.
1: No, no, no.
0: did
1: it's supposed to be Gumnami Baba. Like, Gumnami Baba is supposed to be... Ah, Gumnami Shandibos Baba Shandibos. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I'm telling you all of these facts. Like, this is early 1970s. Sorry, I thought
0: he was this weird dude who uh, kept Sebastian Dibos' artifacts and, I don't know, jacked off to them or something.
1: <laughs> Plausible. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, listen to all of this again while Sorry, considering Ba-ke. that. Oh. Yeah, so... I'll start over again. Hmm. Um, early 1970s is, is when he started moving around in Uttar Pradesh. And this is after the 60s, obviously. And the 60s is when the picture of him in Tashkent was taken. Mm-hmm. He didn't stay in one place because he didn't want people to find him. He didn't show his face because he had an eerie resemblance to Sebastian Bose. I've seen his photograph and yes, he did. Tom. Um, people used to come to meet him in the darkness of the night. People used to come to meet him around Sebastian Rabos' birthday every year. He spoke uh, German, Japanese, Bengali and English. Um... In the 12th chest which held all of his possessions uh, Some of the items were round glasses just like Subhashan Rabose wore um, Pictures of Subhashan Rabose's parents, brother, school teacher, family photos Netaji in the INA uniform, INA colleagues' ki photos uh, Pictures of Subhashan Rabose's birthday celebrations in Bengal Um, foreign alcohol that Subhashan Rabose drank, smoking pipes, books on the Indochina war, Rolex watches, uh, Omega watches similar to what Subhashan Rabose's father had gifted him, um, an Azad in false uniform, telegrams by um, I don't know by the government officials or something like that. Handmade maps of the place where his plane had crashed Letters from army officers from famous revolutionary. I'm going to butcher his name, but Trilokyanath uh, Chakravarti in mm-hmm. 1963 Reminiscing accounts of spending time with Netaji in Mandalay Jail And uh, saying that him along with thousands of ill-treated and oppressed people of East Pakistan were waiting for him to return um, an English typewriter, German binoculars, and like I don't know. I think it was English pens. <clears throat> so wow.
0: he, I mean, yeah. the evidence sure is damning. Like you can't ignore that.
1: Yeah, and when uh, Subhash Chandra Bose's niece came to look at the possessions, which were um, in possession of the government of India, in the possession of the government of India. She said that these are his possessions. Um, And one of uh, Gumnami Baba's quotes is, like this is verbatim what he said. So I can't really tell you what he meant. But uh, he said, and I quote, If Bengal hopes that she will get him, that is a mistake. He is dead. Bengal has killed him. Whoa. Yeah. But there is one piece of evidence which refutes the fact that Kumnami Baba was Sabashan Bose. What is it? And that is that um his handwriting does not match Sebastian handwriting. I mean
0: right. but saying your handwriting is I mean it's not easy but it's doable.
1: Yeah, but like when they compare your handwriting or when they check that it's you, they don't really check the way that you make your alphabets and stuff. They, they check the places where you press the pen hard or where you loosen your grip, something like that, you know? Because oh, okay. that is something you can't unlearn.
0: But still, if he wasn't Netaji, then, then what? what? Is he just some weird dude who likes looking at Subhash Chandra Bose's pictures and jacking off or something?
1: There is a second theory on who this man might have been. Okay. So people say that he might have been <laughs> get ready for this. Kaptan Baba.
0: Who <laughs> the fuck
1: is Kaptaan Baba? <laughs> so Kaptan Baba was this um Baba in the late nineteen fifties who disappeared after killing this guy named Pandit Brahmadev Shastri in a meeting at Gayatri Bhavan. Um <laughs> And uh, he used to live in a temple in Ayodhya. And so what basically happened was that um, the guy that he killed, uh, Brahmadev Shastri, him and Kaptan Baba were on the board of trustees of a temple and they had disagreed over financial matters. So there was this meeting of the board of trustees and Kaptan Baba, whose real name was K.D. Upadhyay. Uh-huh. He had he hadn't attended that meeting. And after that meeting was over, this guy, K.D. Upadhyay, he just steps out of the bushes and shoots Brahmadev Shastri with a rifle in front of everyone.
0: Like just like that out in the open with a rifle?
1: Yeah, like in front of all the other members of the world of trustees. Power move. Yeah, and then, uh, like, before disappearing, he left his possessions on the banks of the Saryu River to give the impression that he had committed suicide. And then he fled to Nepal. And later, apparently in the 70s, he came back to, like, Basti and he started living in, uh, of the Pradesh and stuff. And this theory was sent to, uh, was sent as an anonymous letter to Janmorcha, which was a Hindi newspaper.
0: Oh, I mean, this is kind of far-fetched, but I could see how Gumnami Baba was Sebastian the That would make sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, because, like, this is a very vague memory, so I could be wrong, but, like, I remember this one time, my parents were watching something, which showed Subhashan Rabu's going to visit his family in a disguise, you know, dressed as a Baba or something. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's most of that I haven't read about and he actually did visit his family and stuff.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: (laughs) This is a period in time which is very eventful and very important and shrouded in mystery. But we don't really think about it when we think of Indian history. This isn't talked about much, but it really should be because India is a very young country. It, I think it turns uh, 75 in 2022. So yeah, it's a very young country. And if we don't think about this stuff when we think about Indian history, we are losing out on a huge chunk of our history. So, yeah, that is pretty much it from this episode. We might follow it up with an episode about uh, modern India, which would be from Rajiv Gandhi's day to present day. So, yeah, that is pretty much it from this episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next week.